Welcome to Catapult Future Fest Conversations, powered by the voices of the Catapult community who are mobilizing capital, technology, people, and heart to solve the world's biggest challenges. Think of this podcast as a chance to sit by the fire and learn from a few of the amazing minds who joined us in Oslo for the Future Fest fifth anniversary gathering in 2022. I'm your host, Kate Byrne, co-founder and chief impact officer of Pup Venture. Innovation isn't reserved solely for technology. It's rampant in those tackling our food resources as well. What is the future of food? Well, my two guests, Alex Mayers from the Good Food Institute and Tom Johansson from Hooked Foods, believe the answer lies in alternative proteins, as they are healthy for our body and potentially more healthy for the planet. And yes, they even taste good. I'm a big believer in having everyone kind of get a sense of who are these people and how did they get to where this is. We're in the business of purpose. We're drawn by something that really moves us. So if each of you wouldn't just give a quick little one to two minute highlight of, you know, to make something universal, it's got to be personal. So I won't use the bad joke. I was gonna. I won't do it. I want to say what got you hooked, Tom. But um, bumch. But so, Tom, what got you into where you are? Yeah. Uh, I think uh, I was working at uh, Procter and Gamble with the consumer goods after my engineering studies, and I really loved it there. It was, uh, you know, a great place to work, great, uh, great pay, great career, great, great training colleagues. ground. Yeah, great training ground. Yeah. I learned a lot there for sure. I uh, yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. In the end of the day, I sold racers, Gillette and Venus in the Nordics, and you know, I think what sort of pulled me out of there, even though I really enjoyed it, was you know this last piece, which is what, what am I contributing to the world? Right. What is my purpose, if you will? Yeah. Um, and uh, seeing just this category, how it's growing within the retailers in Nordics, essentially all of them, uh, and how they talk about sustainability and how they're willing to invest more in these kind of products. In the other side, seeing Oatly Beyond Meat, you know, tasting the first Beyond Meat burger. It's not too long ago, even though yeah. it feels like it's been here forever. Like just understanding the potential and how you know how we can actually make you know great sustainable products replacing animal protein, those two things, and then yeah, of course, looking into plant-based seafood. Why is that not existing? Understanding that that's also a huge problem. It's actually also a resource that's very fragile, and we're just consuming more and more as the population grows. That was the trigger. Like this is something where I can contribute more uh, with the knowledge uh, that I have. Yeah, and actually, you know, it's interesting because I remember yesterday Jeremy and um, and Paul Van Zyl actually spoke about how oceans aren't even being considered a part of the whole economic system, really. Yeah. And so this is a way to finally get people aware of what's going on with that. Yeah. So Alex, how about you? Um, so my background's a little different. Um, I started working in education when I finished university. Worked for about ten years as a teacher and kind of progressively doing things like uh, project management of education projects. Um, and again, similar though with the kind of sort of what am I doing? What's the impact of this work actually going to be? So started doing more about education in sustainability, education for peace building in different countries around the world. Um, and then education for animal welfare. So I started um, doing more with uh, an organization in the UK called the Donkey Sanctuary, which feels very fluffy and very cute, kind of some donkeys on a hill in the UK. but. <laughs> My job was about international programming in about 40 countries, trying to find ways to integrate animal welfare into international development because donkeys are kind of that lifeline for water. They're how women get to clinics to give birth. So you can't oh, take the two away. 
Um, and as I kind of learned more about animal welfare, um, I got more into how some donkeys are being slaughtered for skins. And actually, one alternative, of course, for that is cultivating the gelatin, that skin, for the medicines that can be, that can be derived from it. So that l taught me about GFI. It's helped me to understand more about cultivated meats, cultivated products. With gelatin, it's quite easy because it's two-dimensional. You can kind of grow it out. But steaks, salmon, how you can actually make three-dimensional products is pretty exciting. So mm. that space really drew me to this. So it's, I think for me, uh, looking at alternative proteins, the impact on animal welfare um, is astonishing, absolutely astonishing. We're talking billions to trillions of animals that we can affect, and that's really kind of my big passion. Mm. Um, and you combine that with the climate change implications say, and everything else along too. There's, there's an awful lot going for it. So that's where you see the greatest opportunity really lying is that it's, you know, when we do this, it's actually a twofer in the long run. Yeah, it's one of the most leveraged things that we can do for so many parts of, of the world's biggest problems. Mm. So it has gotten some adoption, but not as quickly, I think, probably as everybody would hope. So the, the big elephant in the room that everybody always argues about is, well, what about genetic modification? So gentlemen, what about genetic modification? How do you counter that? So when we're talking about alternative proteins uh, from GFI's perspective, we're really talking about things like plant-based meats, um, cultivated meats, and fermentation technology. So the plant-based stuff is the kind of veggie burgers that you buy in the supermarket now. They're already on the shelves, but they're getting better all the time, and there's still investment that's needed to kind of get them at, at price parity, get them at taste parity with conventional meat. Um, there's also cultivated meat, which is basically, if you imagine taking a a cutting from a plant, growing it out in a greenhouse, you would need that kind of heat, the warmth, the nutrients, the water to make that cutting grow into another plant. It's basically the same technique, but it's using animal cells to do the same thing. So um, with those two technologies, you don't need to be genetically modifying anything at all. It's actually very straightforward with cultivated meat. It literally is just taking that sample and growing it out. No genetic manipulation needed there. Um, you can, with fermentation, use yeast to do things like uh, produce milk proteins um, at scale without using cows, which is ridiculously exciting. Um, <laughs> again, you don't need to be editing the genes to do that. You can introduce um, genetic material into a yeast. It's not actually editing it. And it's the same technology that we've been using for years for making things like insulin, making rennets that goes into cheese that we already eat. It's already on the market. So. It's known technology, it's not really genetic modification. It's, it's, yeah, it's also the, the products on the market already uh, and any future ones have to go through a really rigorous um, regulatory process before they can do it anyway. So mm. in a sense, it's really a non-issue. I think a lot of people in, in European countries think about that genetic modification experience, the so GM crops. Mm. It doesn't really apply here, so it's, it makes it Actually a lot easier. a really interesting point, mm. the difference between the crops and the proteins. Tom, how about you? Where do you see that? No, do you? Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I see it very similarly. It's uh, not something that we do currently with, with Hooked. And I think from all the scientists and researchers and the institutes that we work with, uh, gene modification is not really a, an issue from an ethically or okay. sustainable point of view. Uh, and it's actually something that most scientists are very excited about uh, to create new products. Um, but then in the end as well, you know, looking at the market and the consumer perception, it's uh, the same with soy, I would say. It really doesn't matter in the end what actually is right or wrong, unfortunately. Um, we uh, need to understand what the consumer buys in the end because that's the only way uh, for us to make a transition into plant, plant protein or more sustainable protein. So from our point of view, we always look for the, uh, how big of a concern this is for the consumer. And we are not right now, at least, 
in the size of a company to sort of change a perception of something as big as soil gene modification. We need to adapt to that. But I th hope in the future we will be more open-minded about those, those things uh, from a consumer point of view. So we've got investors in the room. Where's the opportunity? Like, w w let me put it this way. Where's the investment going now? And where do you think it should be going? And, and to follow up on that, where is the greatest opportunity that mm -hmm. you see? Wow. Yeah, many, many good questions. I think uh, yeah. in, in general, uh, the investor landscape right now is, uh, is uh, pretty, pretty tough, uh, I think, for tech startups. I've been uh, asking a few investors here how they see the investor landscape. Uh, and I think it's, it's uh, f of course, tougher in general for tech, but also food tech as well. Um, and I think the, the big companies that are sort of in, you know, that are taking a lot of bets on new technology that might be commercialized in five, six years, they're going to have, have the toughest. And right now, uh, you know, like Hooked, for example, we You're have one. a business model that we're actually selling a product. It's actually being commercialized. We're actually, you know, um, creating some revenue, which right. I think will, is needed to create momentum for the next generation of products, 3D printing, cell-based, and so on. So I think in, in seafood in particular, uh, in particular um, it's been a lot of money actually going into cell-based uh, hmm. seafood, mm -hmm. even though I uh, haven't seen any of those products out on the market yet, uh, not in large scale at least, uh, which is, I think, concerning looking into the investor landscape now. And, um, so it sounds like it's out of balance. Yeah, a little bit like that. Yeah. So um, I, I think more will naturally now go into plant-based because that's sort of the first step we need to take, really commercialize, you know, making plants, plant protein um, more mainstream before thinking about what would be the next generation. Right. Um, Alex, how about you? I think in some ways it comes back to what the main problems are that we're trying to fix with this. So when we look at alternative proteins, we're kind of thinking alternative to what? So industrial animal agriculture at the moment is, um, it's obviously very damaging for the animals, of course. But when we look at climate, um, the animal agriculture industry globally is about 20% of carbon emissions which is almost exactly the same as all of the planes, trains, boats, cars, trucks on the planet as mm. well. We, we don't really necessarily think of that. That's quite a shocking statistic, actually. Yeah. Mm. Meanwhile, meat uh, as a, is forecast to grow in demand by 14% over the next seven years. Mm. We can't keep cutting down more rainforest in order to, to produce this. It's, it's also wildly inefficient. Yeah. Right. Um, if you have a chicken as kind of the most efficient land animal, you need eight calories going into that chicken to get one calorie out. And that's the most efficient. So I think with uh, pork, it's something like 11 calories in for one calorie out. For cows, it's 34 calories in to get one calorie out. Mm. We, we can't keep doing that. It's, it's phenomenally wasteful. Bad so now. we're looking at like 87, 97% uh, food waste, basically, is equivalent to that. Mm. So what we need to do is think about what these alternatives are and what these opportunities are that we can bring with this. So from an investment perspective, I think there's an awful lot of exciting areas with the plant-based foods. Um, mm -hmm. there's, there's growth areas already on the market. It's already changing. There's already demand, which is very exciting. Mm. It's also growing exponentially. If you're looking at um, investment numbers at the moment coming in, I think in 2020, uh, let me just check, it was 3.6 uh, 3 billion, 3 .6 billion euros. Um, in the year before that, it was, uh, it's 28% it's higher than the year before, 49% wow. higher than the year before that. It's, it's, on so a, it's, 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 it's rising very quickly. Um, with cultivated meat as well, there's, there's a lot of new challenges to overcome. This is new technology. 
It's something where we have uh, growth media that we need to figure out how mm -hmm. to scale that up. Um, we have cell lines that we need to figure out how best to, to harvest those, how best to keep those going. Mm. Um, scaffolding, if you're growing a steak, you need a scaffold to kind of grow that steak on as you're growing it in a lab. So 3D printing is super exciting for that because you get that texture um, combined with the taste of the actual meat itself. Mm. So loads of opportunities with cultivated meat. Uh, fermentation tech is really old. We've been brewing beer for years. We've been using uh, yeast and kind of making yogurts and things like that right. for a very, very long time since the dawn of time sort of stuff. So that tech is already there. It's right. why it's a lot further ahead as well, actually. Um, again, investment is there. Um, the opportunities there. I think one of the most recent um, very exciting developments that we've seen is uh, tens of millions of euros going into uh, plant-based milk in particular or fermentation-derived milk kind of fermenting those proteins mycoprotein taking simple sugars fungus putting them together it's all natural process you can double you can double it within about within a matter of hours whereas if you're growing kind of livestock you're talking weeks or months or years in some cases to get that kind of growth it's phenomenal opportunities and it's nearly at price parity which is super exciting mm. so for us we're looking at investment opportunities that would bring uh, taste parity, get it as tasty or tastier than conventional meats, price parity as cheap or cheaper, and get it as convenient. It's, yeah. it's coming quickly, so I think the opportunities are, are pretty vast. Yeah, for sure. And just to add, I think since we're here talking about impact investing, yeah. like food you know, contributing to at least 25% of global greenhouse emissions, it's, like, it's something we can't really ignore anymore. And it's just we need uh, to invest into food tech more. And also looking into the, 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 the forecast of how much this would transition, we're just around you know one two percent for the for like the most like the burgers or plant-based beef. Plant-based seafood is like the latest numbers I've seen is like 0.06 percent of the total seafood category. Right. It's super early, and like companies like Boston Consulting Group, Blue Horizon, they forecast in the most conservative case we will have around 11 percent market share of alternative protein by 2030. And just imagining how big the food industry, it's a trillion dollar business, like it's a massive impact um, uh, opportunity, but also a massive business opportunity as well for investors, as long as they choose the right companies that will succeed in the end, of course. Yeah. Um, I, if I can just add something that we've seen in recent years as well is that um, there's been a shift in how investment is actually happening. So. A few years back, it was more kind of venture capital getting startups off the ground. Um, it's changing now. So yeah. in 2015, there was like five cultivated meat companies. Now there's like at least 107. It's growing wow. quite quickly and it's changing. So uh, the majority is now not venture capital. It's things like mergers and acquisitions. It's uh, stock market listings, things like that. So we're seeing investment change, which is a bit of a sign that the industry is maturing a little bit too. Hmm. What I was also realizing when I was when you tapped into the whole 3D printing piece is that there's so many other areas that this impacts, right? So the first thing that comes to me is also health and healthcare, right? Yeah. And then, you know, which of the SDGs can this impact? So hunger. And mm -hmm. is there a way, to your point, getting the price down that you can actually use this to get into countries and places that are, you know, famished and experiencing hunger and such and just malnourished? such an exciting area um, and health covers so much as well like when I would think uh, we all have a very recent and fresh experience of what a pandemic looks like we're very yeah. quick to say let's be prepared for the next pandemic right. but also maybe let's think about how we prevent the next pandemic so 
avian flu, swine flu, having lots of chickens and pigs squeezed into one artificial small space is a great way to propagate that kind of stuff. Um, taking that away, actually doing something different using plant-based proteins or proteins that are made in a cultivator rather than in that kind of artificial setting massively reduces your pandemic risk. It also massively reduces your antibiotic use because you just don't need it anymore. So antibiotic resistance is again a major threat for us, potentially higher now than, it, than a pandemic risk is. So lots of potential there. With cultivated meat, you could effectively dial up your nutrients that you're producing in your cultivator. You could dial down your cholesterol. There's incredible health potential with this to, to take the meat that people really enjoy change it change how it's produced right. and from a consumer perspective it's it's kind of a win with with no real mis massive disadvantage exactly yeah. and so a lot of it is as you all said perception yeah so what are some ways that we can fix that the perception of the consumer yes uh i what we have seen so far from launching last year is that uh, i think we, we talked a lot about you know uh mind versus habit and mm -hmm. i think this is a really interesting way of seeing it because we have thought like Changing people's minds would change people's food habits. Like if we tell you seafood is bad, uh, they would find something else, like a good alternative to, to buy. But actually, it's not. Like, it might help, but it's not the most effective way from our from our uh, experience, at least. The most effective way is just to get people to eat it, taste test, and then they change their minds. So they don't. We don't change, you know, the food system by changing their minds and then their habits. Actually, changing their habits and then they'll be convinced and be like, ah, okay. There is a sustainable alternative to fish. It makes, makes sense now for me to transition. Um, so just sampling trial, all these very conventional, you know, retailer strategi uh, strategies just to get people, get it in people's hands, essentially. So before I open it up, because I want to make room for you guys to be sure to ask questions as well. But um, so what's one thing that you wish, you hope people walk away with today? That you, or just in general, that you wish people knew? Um, but I, I wish people understood, like, if, if you don't already, I mean, you're here, but understood that the way, like, the trajectory right now, we need to change it. Like, yeah. we are increasing in population, we are increasing our consumption. I'm just really into seafood, and, like, that's increasing as well. I think it's crazy how we just have come to a point where we consume so few things so excessively. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's like, and we use our resources on this planet so extremely poorly. inefficiently. Yeah. Uh, I mean, food waste being 40%, like that's just a ridiculous number to start with, but then also the food that we actually produce. Right. Why do we, as you say, feed cows and pigs uh, and like in, in salmon farms, 20% uh, is the mortality can be up to 20%. So like yeah. there's so many, so many places in, the, in this whole system that is uh, broken and right. it goes to waste. And it needs to be it needs to be fixed, and we need to just like really change our minds around uh, how we consume consume food uh, on an individual level. It's uh, I think that's this, I think that is something that the general uh, person that I meet don't really understand why this is a problem because the resources they're not there. Right. for the population. Again, I think people don't connect the dots. Yeah. This domino effect. I do this and then it affects everything. So there's a lack of intentionality. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. yeah. Alex, I, how about you? I agree completely. I think um, when people are in the supermarket, 
they're not normally choosing products because of ethics or because of how they know how the value chain produced that particular product. It's just not normal. It's not how people act. Mm. So yet. Yet. Um, there's a lot of work kind of done to persuade people to eat better. But again, the science is showing that meat production is still just skyrocketing. It's still going up so fast. Mm. So from the research that we have, uh, and we see it consistently all over the world, um, the driving factors if you own the supermarket are taste, price, and convenience. So getting other products, getting more sustainable options to be competitive on those three channels, that's the sweet spot. And it becomes the default choice as soon as those things are right. nailed, basically. Mm. Um, in terms of consumer perception as well, we saw some um, uh, a peer-reviewed paper, I think it was 2021, which um, asked some of these questions about mm -hmm. perceptions of cultivated meat in particular. Um, and it was saying 80% of uh, UK and American consumers would be willing to try it. Um, there was another one from the year before, which was asking German consumers, and that was something like 58%. So people are interested. People are keen to have a go and see what this is like. Mm -hmm. So what we can do is support the industry. Um, GFI, as a charity, we're a non-profit, which means we're completely philanthropically funded. We don't take money from uh, corporations or governments or anything else. Uh, we're driven by the mission. So what we can do is help to connect people, link people up, help to find ingredients companies for, for the supply chain. We can do a lot to try to kind of catalyze, support uh, regulatory paths to market, support science and technology. So yeah, I think that's something as well, for, from our point of view, it's something that I would really like everyone to know really, is that there are organizations out there like GFI who are trying to kind of work as an umbrella and support the whole industry to rise. Um, it's great that, that Hooked are doing what they're doing and their products are amazing. Um, but yeah, what can we do to kind of help right. to smooth the regulatory path for all similar products? Mm. So that all rise. Exactly. All right, terrific. Um, one last question. Each of you answer the question, the future is? Tom? I would say the future is better. Cool. The future is better. The future, I think, is collaboration for sustainable foods. Terrific. Well, I think the future's in good hands as long as we have you guys at the helm. <laughs> so thank you very much, and thank you all for such an engaged conversation. Thanks, everybody. This is Kate Byrne. Thanks for downloading Catapult Future Fest Conversations, available wherever you get your podcasts. Look out for our next conversation, The Edge of History, Effective Altruism Meets Impact Investing, with two of the Catapult crew, Niels Broger of Catapult and Effective Giving, and Alison Ford, CEO of Catapult Foundation. If you like what you hear in the series, join us in person at our upcoming FutureFest event in Oslo, Norway, May 31st through June 2nd, 2023.